The Lie Detector Test, Bondage, Feminism and Superpowers. It's all about Wonder Woman on Pop Culture Confidential. I'm Christina Yerling Biro. Thank you for joining me. It's been a long wait for the first glimpse of a new live action Wonder Woman since the 1970s TV series starring the iconic Linda Carter. But now she can be seen in the new Batman vs. Superman blockbuster, a teaser for the much awaited 2017 Wonder Woman film directed by Patty Jenkins and starring Gal Gadot as the superhero. Why there have been so few depictions of Wonder Woman on screen is a complete mystery to me, as her origin story and her creator's story is just manna from heaven. On a personal note, I grew up on the reruns of that Linda Carter Wonder Woman 1970s series, and I looked on in total jealousy at those who got the store-bought Wonder Woman costume for Halloween. Later, I came to understand that she was not only kick-ass entertainment, but fighting for peace, justice, and gender equality— a feminist icon in an awesome costume. And the more I find out about Wonder Woman, the more fascinating she is. Her creator, William Moulton Marston, who released the first Wonder Woman comic in 1941, was a psychologist, and he invented the polygraph test. It's represented in the Wonder Woman weapon, her golden lasso of truth. Marston lived with two women in a polyamorous mutual relationship, In later decades, when the Wonder Woman character lost her powers, it was actually the feminist Gloria Steinem who got them back. You need to stay tuned for this one, because these are some of the most interesting pop culture anecdotes you'll ever hear. I'm really happy to be joined by Tim Hanley, comic book historian and the author of Wonder Woman Unbound, The Curious History of the World's Most Famous Heroine. Mr. Hanley, thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Just before we get started during the history of of Wonder Woman, um, there's so much talk about the new incarnation, the new movie. Um, From what you've seen, how would you describe her and and what do you think? Um, Well, I saw Batman v Superman Mm -hmm. and she's definitely got more of a a warrior vibe than Mm -hmm. we usually see. I mean, she's got about eight minutes of screen time, so you're not getting a lot of Wonder Woman, but most of it is a fight scene. She's also the only superhero in the movie who smiles. Okay. (laughs) Everyone else is very dark and angsty. Wonder Woman, get her in the middle of the fight. She's having the best time. So I like that part of the character very much. So you're happy sort of with the continuation of this character. Yes, she was the only part of the movie I liked, but I liked her quite a lot. Okay, well, let's not talk about the rest of the movie. (laughs) Okay, so getting into your book, reading your book, um, you cannot understand Wonder Woman without understanding her creator, William Moulton Marston. How would you describe the Wonder Woman that he created, the original um, Wonder Woman? Um, William Moulton Marston was a psychologist, so when comics started in the, the late 1930s, most of the people who worked on comics were young guys 
trying to kind of parlay a comic book into a comic strip or do art to get a job in advertising. So it was all like guys in the early 20s. Marston was in his 40s and he was a psychologist. And when comics started, he saw a way to kind of reach young people and try to teach them positive messages. His positive message was that women were going to take over the world. He thought that a matriarchy was inevitable. It was coming very soon. And he created Wonder Woman as a strong female character to basically prepare young boys who would read the comic for the idea of a strong woman because strong women would soon be in charge of them. So there's this kind of bizarre sort of feminism at the core of the character that, that led to her creation. Where did this feminism come from? Um, Marston's kind of steeped in in early feminism, like the suffrage movement and all of that. His He has he had two wives, sort of. He had a, a wife he was actually married to and a woman that lived with him in a kind of polyamorous situation. Which may not be the definition of feminism. Oh, but they, um, they're actually very accomplished, uh, educated women, and they all seemed to enjoy it. Marston died in 1947, and the two women stayed together for like the next 50 years. Oh, they did, really? Yeah. Yeah. But um, So his wife, Elizabeth, uh, was well-educated. She actually studied in psychology and kept working after she had kids. The other, not official wife, but wife, basically, Olive Byrne, raised the kids. But she had ties to kind of Margaret Sanger and the the birth control movement and all of that. So Marston was really steeped in... That was a, a, a relative of hers. Yes, her mother. Ethel Higgins Burns, I think. Mm-hmm. She was in one of the very first kind of pro-birth control things in, I think, the 1910s. Uh, Ethel and Margaret started a, a birth control clinic. They got arrested, and Ethel took the fall. So Ethel went to prison, and Margaret got off scot-free. That's why Margaret Sanger kind of became a big thing, and you didn't hear a lot more from Ethel Higgins Burns because she mm-hmm. had a record. Wow. But she, through her daughter eventually contributed to the creation of Wonder Woman. Both women actually had a lot of input in his creation of the character. But could they be open with this um, arrangement? People who knew them knew about it. Um, like the editor of, of Wonder Woman in the 40s, Sheldon Mayer, he knew, and he thought it was odd at first, but they were just one big happy family, so he got used to it pretty quick. And he had children with both. Yeah, he had two children with each of them. And and can you see Wonder Woman, the early Wonder Woman, any um, in these two... Um, any inspiration coming from these two women? Yeah, definitely. From Elizabeth, um, you get the idea that she should be a woman. Marston was invited because he'd written a couple positive articles about the effects of comics. So he was invited to pitch a comic. That's why he started writing them. Yeah. So he was coming up with some ideas and all most of the superheroes at this time were men. So he was trying to come up with uh, a male character. He'd done that kind of thing before. He wrote a novel about Julius Caesar that was basically about Caesar and all the women in his life and how they made him kind of the great leader, whatever he became to be. So he's kind of taken that angle with, with this comic book. And Elizabeth said, why don't you just make her a woman? So Elizabeth is the reason Wonder Woman is Wonder Woman. Um, from all of Byrne, you get um, a lot of the aesthetics. Um, all of like to wear big bracelets. And so those big bracelets inspired Wonder Woman's own bold deflecting bracelets. And they were pretty... Like, they shared everything. So, like, the scripts would have been discussed. The stories would have been talked about. It was a very well-educated household where there'd be lots of kind of discussion and interaction about what everyone was working on. 
We'll get back to to the sort of origin story of Wonder Woman. I just want to backtrack to something you said that he was very positive. This was in the forties, I guess, or maybe in the thirties, um, to comic books and, and and had written a few articles. What was he saying was the positive effects of comic books at such an early stage? Um, he thought that he was both positive and mildly concerned. He was worried about what he called the blood-curdling masculinity of the comics, all these male superheroes who like to punch people. But he saw in comics a potential, like a great way to reach kids kind of on their level and kind of teach them things, just get into their brains from a young age, essentially, and be able to get positive messages across if the comic publishers so chose. And this was a... His positive reaction to the potential of comics was kind of rare for the time. Yeah, I can imagine. When comics came out, there was a lot of backlash because kids were reading comics instead of reading books. So just from like a, a literacy standpoint, there was a lot of like PTA groups and things like that that were opposed to comics because like there was even something, comics were printed so poorly that they were worried kids would hurt their eyes. Okay. <laughs> from, from reading the comics. It's your standard moral outrage that comes with every new technology. Yeah, yeah. so they want kids to be reading books. And Martin said, no, comics can be, can be good too. And that was a, a rare voice at the time. Yeah, that's interesting. He seemed very early in everything. And then there's something else about him, that he was actually an inventor. Yeah, um, early in his psychological work, he helped to invent the lie detector test um, based on systolic blood pressure. That was kind of his research when he was younger back in the 20s. And you kind of see that lie detector carry through with Wonder Woman and her lasso, which when you're in the lasso, you have to do what she tells you, and she can kind of use that as a lie detector that compels you to tell the truth. Yeah, the truth. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. So let, let's get into what was the origin story that he created for Wonder Woman? Um, he's situated Wonder Woman as uh, Diana, a princess of the Amazons, who thousands of years ago had separated themselves from the world of men. There was a whole, mythologically, there's the whole Amazon interaction with Hercules, his ninth labor, where he's trying to steal the girl of Hippolyta, queen of the Amazons. Marston created a story where after that, the Amazons were sick of men and their war and their greed. So they left, created their own utopian advanced society. So this is 1941. The Amazons have been on their own for thousands of years live on an island that's actually called Paradise Island. And uh, a plane crashes on their island. It's American pilot Steve Trevor. They don't know what to do with the man because they haven't seen one in 3,000 years. But Athena and Aphrodite come to them and say, the world is at war. America, the last citadel of democracy and equal rights for women, needs your help. You have to return Steve Trevor and send a champion. So they have a contest. Decide who's the, the strongest Amazon. One woman's not allowed to enter mm-hmm. because she's the princess. She enters anyway in secret with a mask. It's just like a domino mask. You can tell it's her, but it's, it's <laughs> a comic. As per usual. Thing. Yeah. So she wins. She gets to take Steve Trevor back to America, and she stays and kind of helps with the war effort. Wonder Woman was very much involved in the war in ways most comic books at the time were not. You see it with, like, Captain America and some of the Justice Society books, but, like, Batman and Superman – largely sat out the war. Wonder Woman was in the thick of it. She was flipping over battleships. She was fighting on both German and Japanese fronts. Well, I'm going to uh, um, ask you something that I never thought I would say on the podcast. Let's talk about bondage. Let's do it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, talk about this bondage theme that seems like a, a, a big deal for Marston. Yeah, we kind of have to go back to his 
psychological theories. Um, he was the reason he thought women were going to take over the world because he thought that women were the most natural to lead. They could induce kind of loving submission out of all the men in the world. And he thought when when men were in charge, they didn't induce submission so much as kind of dominantly force compliance. And so to illustrate this submission dominance kind of idea, he used bondage imagery. Mm -hmm. So it's it holds up a little bit. <laughs> Uh, so when Wonder Woman's on Paradise Island, they play a lot of bondage games. They get tied up. It's part of all their festivals. It's a big thing. But it's fun. They're all enjoying it. They all trust each other. There's a mutual love and respect because women are in charge, and that's the way things should be for Marston. So it's happy, and it's pleasurable, and it's safe. But when you go to the world of men where men are in charge, it's it's unpleasant. When Wonder Woman gets tied up and her bracelets are uh, welded together, chained together. She actually loses all of her superpowers. So male dominance literally renders Wonder Woman powerless. So you get this interesting metaphor on Paradise Island. Bondage slash female rule is, is good and positive in the world of men. Kind of patriarchy and bondage from a male perspective is, is unpleasant. Because it's both sort of a sexual thing and a, a feminist metaphor at the same time. Yeah, it was definitely a sexual thing for Marston because he used it all the time in everything he wrote. Mm. It's If you look at the early Wonder Woman comics, um, a full quarter of the panels will feature bondage imagery. Mm, she's tied like up. I, and, yeah. yeah, she's tied up. Someone else is tied up. Like, I sat down and counted them <laughs> and, and like compared it to other comics at the time because uh, superheroes get tied up sometimes. Mm -hmm. Bad guys get tied up. It's kind of an occupational hazard. Wonder Woman blows them out of the water. It's like 27% to 3%. Mm. It's it's a definite fixation, and it's in all his other works. That book about Julius Caesar he wrote, that was awesome. full of bondage. Well, seems like something he was into. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a fixation. What did the censors say about that? Did or did people not? Yeah, they did not care for it. No, and what happened? No. <laughs> um, DC had a, an advisory committee that kind of approved all the comics. This actually came out of the the kind of the PTA reaction of a lot of people not being excited about comics when they first came out. Right. So DC set up this advisory board of like child psychologists and like librarians kind of go through their books. Marston's books got flagged a lot yes. <laughs> because of the bonnets. There's actually one woman on the, the panel named Josette Frank who eventually quit. She would not do the Wonder Woman books anymore because, because it was falling on. Yeah. And, uh, Editorial was okay with it for a while because the book was like an instant hit. It sold really well. It was selling about as well as Superman, which would have been you know, about a million copies a month. Mm. So that was really good for the time. So they didn't want to interfere. Um, the publisher actually got a letter one day from a soldier who's like, I, who said, I can see you're into bondage. I'm into bondage too. Do you like chaining up women the way I like chaining up women? And the publishers flipped out. This is not what he wanted. No. This was for kids. <laughs> Like this was uh, Max Gaines. Like his big book was called Picture Stories from the Bible. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> this kind of reaction is its not what he was looking for. Yeah. So he tried to get Marston to tone it down. Marston refused. And they just eventually let it go because the book was selling so well. Marston had all the control he wanted to do whatever he wanted because it was a hit. Right, right. And and let's talk a little because one of the other things that, that I understand that he did from was that during the, the 40s, there was something called Women of History in every comic book. Um, what was that? Um, it was called Wonder Women of History. It was a, a uh, four-page 
feature that would profile uh, a historical woman in comic book form and uh, kind of go into detail about her past, what she accomplished. Um, usually it would involve her standing up to the patriarchy in some way. Men would want to keep her down. Were these real people, real women? Yeah, real women. So like, I think the first one was Florence Nightingale, and I think Clara Barton was soon after. So they go through all these historical women, tell their story. It's kind of a way to encourage maybe the, the girls who are reading the comic book to kind of like have them to look up to. They have Wonder Woman to look up to in a fictional way that can kind of like play as Wonder Woman in the playground. But when they go to school, they can study to be like the next Clara Barton or the next Marie Curie. This seems incredible for the 40s. I don't, couldn't see this happening now. I mean, in every single comic book, there'd be like, whoa, it's pretty advanced. Yeah, it was, it was abnormal. Um, comics in the 40s were bigger than they are now. And there was like a lot of filler stuff. There'd be like comedy strips and like some games and stuff like that. Uh, Wonder Woman was the only book that took advantage of the extra space and used it to, uh, tell these stories of these these great historical women. Let's move on a little bit. Can you tell me a little bit about Wonder Woman in the coming decades? What what happened in the 50s and 60s? Well, Marston dies in 1947. So the book goes to a writer called Robert Kaniger, who he's kind of a hack, mm-hmm. to, <laughs> to put it in, in rude terms, I suppose. But he's, just, he's the kind of guy, Marston put a lot of thought into comics. There's all these kind of psychological theories behind him. Kaniger just sat down and typed in, banged out a story every month. And so you kind of lose the feminism of Marston. Then in the, the mid-50s, you get uh, this kind of a juvenile delinquency crisis. Comics publishers get called before a Senate com- subcommittee on juvenile delinquency. There's a book called Seduction of the Innocent that says comics are, are harmful for kids and teach them how to be criminals and contributing to the rise of juvenile delinquency. So comics create a comics code to regulate content. And so what you see after that is... The comics that survive this code, there's a huge purge. Any like crime comics, horror comics are gone. They just disappear, huh? Yeah, and you see kind of a, a rebirth of superhero comics. They faded out a bit in the 40s. Wonder Woman survived, but she was one of the few. So after the comics code, uh, DC Comics especially wanted to be as innocuous as possible. Just completely unobjectionable content that was kind of parroted like mainstream values as closely as they could. Mm-hmm. So Wonder Woman went from being kind of this bizarrely feminist heroine in the 40s to in the 1950s. She was still a superhero. She was still fighting bad guys, um, creatures more than people at this time. She fought like a lot of giant birds and mm-hmm. giants, large things generally. It all got very silly. but um, And not so much bondage. Oh, way less bondage. <laughs> <laughs> Considerable drop-off there. And uh, But she wanted to settle down. She didn't want to be a superhero anymore. She had her boyfriend, Steve Trevor, that was the pilot who had landed on Paradise Island way back. Um, he wanted to get married. She wanted to get married. She just had this pesky job of being a superhero. So she couldn't be a good wife if she was a superhero. Oh, can't have that. So there were like a lot of stories. Steve would try to make her prove her love mm. because he was upset that she wouldn't be around and was always running off. And most stories at some point would have her say, I wish I could settle down. I wish I could get married. I just, I promise to help be a superhero when crime's no longer a problem. We'll settle down. We'll get married. <laughs> so it was a, it was a sharp shift in tone for sure. And then in the sixties, in the sixties, you get the rise of Marvel comics in the early sixties, kind of doing more hip and relevant stories. So by the late sixties, DC's decided it's long enough since the comics code started, we can try to be a little more relevant, a little more cutting edge again. 
Um, so for Wonder Woman, they decided, let's get rid of her. The sales have been bad. Kaniger's run. He was on the book for 20 years. Oh, wow. But um, sales steadily declined. So they decided to do uh, a full revamp of the character. She gave up her superpowers. The Amazons like moved to a different dimension. Mm-hmm. And she became uh, just a normal human woman, Diana Prince. So depowered. Depowered completely, except it was a very, very bad story. She stayed in the world of men because Steve Trevor had gotten captured and she had to go save him. She loses her powers, goes to get Steve. Steve dies, like two issues in. <laughs> so Wonder Woman's on her own. She meets a, a martial arts master. She learns Kung Fu. She's going to go track down Steve's killer. So it turns into this big revenge story, which doesn't fit Wonder Woman, who's rooted in kind of a loving matriarchal mm-hmm, mm-hmm. origin. So it doesn't fit her well. Like she's killing people all the time, mm-hmm. trying to get to the, the top of the chain. Uh, meanwhile, falling in love with every man she meets. Mm-hmm. So Steve's been dead for an issue. She's already kissing another guy. All the men inevitably betray her. She goes to the next guy. Betrayal again. Wow. She ends up hysterical after each betrayal. Like there's a... Wow, who's writing this? <laughs> um, this is actually Denny O'Neill, who is a very accomplished comic book writer. Mm-hmm. He would go on to kind of change Batman in the 70s and from the kind of campy 60s stuff to the, the darker kind of gothic Batman that, that took over. Mm-hmm. This was an early gig for him. It just, it was a bunch of guys trying to depict a, a quote-unquote modern woman, and they had no idea what they were doing. This was the early days of feminism. They weren't quite up on it. Right. And what does Gloria Steinem have to do with all this? Yeah, Gloria Steinem did not care for this new direction. She and many other women in the women's lib movement kind of grew up with the classic Amazon Wonder Woman. So she actually knew the publisher of DC Comics kind of launched a a bit of a campaign to have her return to her roots. So in 1973, the Amazon Wonder Woman comes back. The Amazons are back. She's got her power. She's got her old costume. Um, In the meantime, Gloria Steinem started Ms. Magazine, puts Wonder Woman on the very first cover, uh, reprints part of her 1940s origin story in the magazine. She also, through Ms. and uh, publishing imprint, publishes a collection of Marston stories from the 40s. It's actually one of the, at the time, one of the only ways to get access to these old stories, which had been out of print for 30 years at this point. So Steinem and and Miz and kind of American feminism generally kind of adopt Wonder Woman as as a mascot because they grew up with her. Cool. It's like a full circle, sort of back to Marston's original thinking. In certain ways, yeah. They kind of, they didn't love the matriarchy aspect of it and they never mentioned the bondage aspect of it Mm -hmm. so they kind of remade wonder woman in their own image a little bit Mm -hmm. so it's like a lot of sisterhood and self-reliance and the things that were important to the women's liberation movement they picked up on those aspects of the characters past when i'm listening to you talk about this and all this history and and even the backstory and and marston why have there been so few live action versions of wonder woman i'm basically I think there was one strange one, but then there was the 70s show and the one that's coming now, correct? Yep. Yeah, it's been a couple tries in the 60s, like when the Batman show was big. Mm-hmm. They never went anywhere. And then the Linda Carter show. And attempts since then, there's been, the Wonder Woman movie has been in development for 20 years. Right. Um, Joss Whedon was attached to write it at one point. They did a TV show with um, that gal who's on S.H.I.E.L.D. now, I forget her name. Mm-hmm. So there's been tries, it's just never worked out. Um, I think it's largely... There hasn't been a lot of media starring female superheroes generally. So Wonder Woman's not exceptional in this regard. It's not like 
there's been a bunch of Supergirl. I mean, there's a show now. There hasn't been a Supergirl movie. Black Widow's been in movies, but hasn't had her own movie. Right. It's kind of a, a reticence on the part of studios to focus on female leads. They also like to point to kind of Catwoman, Elektra in the early 2000s. They were bombs. That didn't work. As, like there's actually when they did the Sony hack a while ago, they found an email from Marvel's kind of CEO, like Perlmutter, that specifically pointed out what failures Catwoman and Elektra were mm. as a reason for why they don't make movies with female leads. But which seems odd now with Hunger Games and a bunch of other sort of huge, big budget and, and grossing um, female lead movies. Oh, yeah, it's dumb. Mm. But it's a, it's an entrenched way of thinking that's only now kind of starting to, to turn around. We'll have the Wonder Woman movie soon. Um, the Ant-Man sequel is going to be Ant-Man and Wasp. Right. Captain Marvel's coming soon, so it's starting to change. What did the, the 70s show, were, are you happy with that? that? Did you like it? I mean, I I was crazy about it just to forget <laughs> I watched it. I didn't watch it when I was a kid. Mm. So I watched it as like an adult doing research, mm -hmm. and it's not great. <laughs> no, I guess you have to watch it as a kid. Yeah, you kind of ha have to have that, that innocence and that ability to sit for an hour and be entertained by campy storylines. I mean, it's fun. It's silly. Um, the first scene is kind of cool because it's the 1940s, right. and they borrow a lot of stuff from Marston stories. So that's that's interesting. The the next two seasons they switch to the 70s. It gets kind of wackier. We've got Wonder Woman in like the Star Spangled Scuba Suit, right. stuff like that. I mean, it's fun, and it's I mean, Linda Carter is amazing. There's it's hard to wear that costume and pull it off. You got to have a certain confidence. Got to have a certain enthusiasm for it, and she has that in Spades. And it, it was absolutely wonderful. But one one of the things also, I'm surprised that there hasn't been a movie made about Marston and the women and all that and this backstory. Yeah, that would I, be fascinating. I, I mean, someone has to write that <laughs> or, yeah. and do it. I mean, that's just the amazing story. Well, it's the good news is the story is kind of getting out there. There's my book. There's Jill the Porter's book. Right. So kind of all this, this history of Wonder Woman and Marston that's been long forgotten is kind of out in the public eye now. So maybe someone will do something with it. You have a new book, um, which is out now, uh, about Lois Lane, um, which, and Lois Lane's superhero power, I guess, is journalism, which I approve of. <laughs> um, but, but tell me why you're interested in, in her, in that character. Um, I used Lois Lane when I was doing the Wonder Woman book as kind of a woman on the street comparison to the superpowered Wonder Woman. So I got to read kind of bits of, of Lois's history, and I loved it. She's a, a fascinating character. She's relentless from the get-go. Her first story, she gets rescued by Superman. Superman says, don't don't try to print this story. He's trying to keep a low profile. Cut to next panel. Lois is in her editor's office pitching the story. <laughs> and it's, it's great. So there's this fantastic, relentless quality to Lois. At the same time, there's the, the romantic thing with Superman that kind of puts her in a damsel in the stress role. She gets obsessed with marriage in the 1950s. So there's a real fascinating up and down with Lois that in many ways kind of mirrors the history of American women. Mm -hmm. Lois Lane is a, a fantastic benchmark for the treatment of women in comics. Because she doesn't have superpowers. She's not a villain. She's just kind of a normal woman going with the flow as a kind of a secondary character. And so kind of flipping the Superman comics around, looking at the history of comics from her perspective, um, is a, a fascinating way to look at the industry. And uh, she's just a great character. Well, maybe I can give you a call back and talk about that book in sometime soon. Absolutely. That would be great. Thank you so much, Mr. Ann, for your time. This was so interesting. Oh, it was my pleasure. 
thank you so much to comic book historian Tim Hanley, the author of Wonder Woman Unbound, The Curious History of the World's Most Famous Heroine. And his new book is Investigating Lois Lane, The Turbulent History of the Daily Planet's Ace Reporter. His website is Straightened Circumstances, and there he discusses Wonder Woman, Lois Lane, and women in comics. And thank you so much for listening. Tweet us your thoughts and comments on at podpopculture or visit the website popcultureconfidential.com. And you can listen to the show through Tievedax, Acast, iTunes, and a whole bunch of other places. This show was edited by Tom Hansen, theme music by Carl Boy, and produced by René Wittestedt and myself. I'm Christina Jörling-Biro. Thank you so much. Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist Podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes. Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes. Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes, yes! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast.